You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast for all things communication, advertising, and marketing. I'm your host, Ted Lau, award-winning agency owner, podcaster, and family guy. Today on our show, we have Mary Scott, or Scotty, Greenwood, CEO of the Canadian American Business Council. A former American diplomat to Canada and a frequent media commentator and public speaker, Scotty serves as a business and public policy advocate, as well as a communications expert and political strategist to Fortune 500 companies, trade associations, and nonprofit organizations. Scotty is also the managing director and founding partner of Crestview Strategy US, and she serves on public, corporate, and private philanthropic boards of directors. In 2001, Scotty served as chief of staff to the US ambassador to Canada, having been appointed to the diplomatic posting by President Clinton. From 1993 to 1997, Scotty was director of intergovernmental affairs for the city of Atlanta, handling state and federal relations and projects related to the 1996 Olympic Games. Scotty holds a Bachelor of Arts with honors from the University of Vermont. She participated in the John F. Kennedy School of Government's program for senior executives in state and local government at Harvard University. Scotty also participated in the Stanford University Rock Center for Corporate Governance Directors College. Scotty, welcome. Thank you so much, Ted. It's really good to be with you. And you know what? As you were reading that, I was thinking about the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta were a long time ago, but you're in Vancouver now. And I also had the wonderful fortune of going to the Vancouver 2010 Winter Olympics, which was a spectacular celebration of world peace and sports and athleticism. And so anyways, it just made me think about that because the old days in Atlanta during the Summer Olympics and more recently, although still a while ago in Vancouver at the games there, kind of great memories. Yeah, absolutely. It was great memories. Did you go see a game or did you see any ceremonies or what got you there? Yeah. So actually the Olympics media broadcasting partner in the United States is NBC. Mm -hmm. And NBC came to us, to the Canadian American Business Council, which I run in probably 2009 and said, hey, we're broadcasting the Vancouver Games. Everybody's going to be tuned in watching something in Canada. Don't you guys want to be advertisers? And so I went to our members and said, you know, it actually is true that the local NBC network in DC, everybody's going to be focused on Canada. Maybe this is an opportunity for us. So we pulled together our resources and we put together an ad campaign to remind Americans inside the Beltway of how special and important this Canada-US relationship is. So little did I know that by being an Olympic advertiser on NBC, we'd get invited to go to the games. And so my husband and I went, we went to the gold medal men's hockey game, uh, which was Canada, US. It was epic. Yeah. And we did, you know, figure skating, the whole thing. If you're going to go to an Olympics and you're not an athlete, the way to go is as a guest of a sponsor. It's fabulous. Wow. That's fantastic. I did the other way. So I did not have the connections 12 years ago. We just had our baby daughter. And I actually ended up being a performer in the opening ceremonies. Really? Yeah, I was one of those dancers, the extras dancing as the athletes came in. So that was a lot of fun. And are you a dancer? Is that in your I am not a dancer. I just wanted to get involved. I saw the Beijing Olympics. I thought the the opening ceremony is wonderful and fantastic. And I thought, what if there's a way for me to get on there? And then CTV, there was a news anchor named Lloyd Robertson. He would say, you know, hey, they're calling for more volunteers. There's not enough men. That was the news report. We need more male volunteers. 
So I'm like, perfect. You go online and had this huge, a bunch of sheets of like, this is what you could do. You could do like parking lot attendant or food service or what. And I'm like, I'm not checking any of these. The only thing I checked was dancer at opening and closing ceremonies. That's all I did. There's no audition because I have no discernible talent when it comes to anything dance related, but they needed guys. I happened to fit the role and there we go. And then funny enough on the closing. So you watch the men's hockey game, right? Yeah. So all the performers now, this is the closing ceremonies and I'm not even sure I should say this, but it's 12 years now. We might have hmm. snuck in a few, you know, alcoholic beverages and we're celebrating already and watching the game. And it was the world's largest tent at the time. It was a two-story tent structure. And That's all right. these crazy uh, Canadian dancers watched Sidney Crosby score the winning goal. And this yes. thing erupted. I was terrified this tent was going to collapse. We go out and then I got to go and carry the Romanian flag out. <laughs> Amazing. It was a ton of fun. I'm glad that we have a connection that way. That's right. That's amazing. And good for you for figuring out a way to get into the arena where it's happening. You know, I often think about when you watch the games every four years or two years, you know, what must it feel like to walk into that arena, right? For opening or closing ceremony. So you've experienced that. That's really cool. Good for you. It's a lot cheaper than paying for Olympic advertising. I think. So <laughs> That's right. There we go. So thank you for joining us today. I wanted to kind of chatter about this new book. So you got a new book out. I really wanted to hear about it. I definitely want you to chat about what this book is about because it's something that I think is very interesting and talks about the relationship between our two great countries. Amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah. So the Canadian American Business Council has published a book now twice, two editions. But before I tell you about the book, I'll tell you what inspired it. Because in 1976, it was the U.S. Bicentennial. And the government of Canada wanted to give a gift to the people of the United States that would celebrate the Canada-U.S. relationship. And so Heritage Canada at the time commissioned a book, a gorgeous coffee table book with scenes along the Canada-U.S. border and quotes from people who live along the border. And it was called Entre Amis, The Line Between Friends. So it's literally the line that separates Canada and the United States. And it's scenes from right, you know, all the way across. And so I was aware of this book because it sat in the coffee table of my boss's office. He had been given it as a wedding present because I think he might've been married in 1976 or something anyway. And I used it in writing speeches and doing things for Canada US. I, I used that book as a reference and I just loved it. And so fast forward, it's Canada is about to be 150 years old. And I'm thinking, what can we do to celebrate What's a Canada-US thing we could do? And my first idea was, let's recreate that book. Let's go back to each one of those places and each one of those people and interview them and take photographs all these years later. Well, it turns out that that idea would take a lot of time and a lot of money, <laughs> neither of which we had. So instead, I got together with a wonderful scholar named Art Milnes. He lives in Kingston, Ontario, and he's a Canadian who is, I think you could say, obsessed with U.S. presidents and prime ministers, but he knows a lot about, for a Canadian or even for an American, he knows a heck of a lot about the Canada-U.S. relationship as seen through the lens of presidents and prime ministers. So anyway, I talked to Art. He's written a bunch of books. We worked on some projects together, and I said, what do you think of doing a book of speeches between presidents and prime ministers to celebrate... Canada's 150th. And he loved the idea. And then I thought, because, you know, my lips get tired from reading so much <laughs> that we need to add photographs. And so we went to 
all sorts of sources, presidential libraries, National Archives of Canada, different places, and found photographs, many of which haven't really been seen before or haven't been published widely. And so we put together this gorgeous picture book with speeches and toasts and tributes. And we worked with another collaborator, Scott Reed. You may know Scott. He lives in Toronto. He's a communicator himself. And he worked in Paul Martin's prime minister's office. And anyway, he's a wonderful, thoughtful guy also. And so anyway, the three of us kind of worked on, on the first edition. It came out for Canada's 150th. The Canadian embassy gave it and consulates gave it as official gifts. We gave it away. And we promoted it, actually, at presidential libraries. So we had the kickoff was with President Bush and Prime Minister Harper in Dallas. We went to Atlanta with Jimmy Carter and Joe Clark. Uh, We went to Montreal with Jean Chrétien, Bill Clinton, my former boss, Bill Clinton. Anyway, and then Scott interviewed his former boss, Paul Martin, in downtown Toronto at Chapters Books with Heather Reisman. So anyway, so that's what we did. That's how we promoted it. But it was published in 2017, which, remember, that was right after... Donald John Trump was elected. And so the book ends with kind of this, what do we think will happen between Trudeau and Trump? What is this relationship (laughs) going to be like? You know, the 45th president's rather bombastic. What do we think? And so it was sort of, that's how the book ends. And then everything that happened during the Trump years, you know, we, we managed to renegotiate the NAFTA pretty successfully. President Biden was elected. Kamala Harris, who went to school in Montreal. So anyway, we updated the book to reflect, you know, kind of modern day. And so there's now a second edition and its title, it's called With Faith and Goodwill. And that's the shortening of a quote that Winston Churchill said of Canada and the United States that, you know, we are two nations guarded only by honorable obligations and neighborly faith and goodwill, something like that. I'm butchering the quote, but it's right there in the in the front of the book. So when I send you the book, You can see the pictures, you can see the quotes, and we can get back together and you can tell me what you think. I'm so excited. However, I wanted to know with President Trump, was there speeches or mostly tweets? We added tweets. Did you? you? Oh, nice. All right. Yeah, we put, and but we didn't, we didn't belabor it. Yeah, I got that. Because it's, fair enough. It's just not that fun to relive those days, you know? Uh, So, so we, I think we put President Trump into context. And we tried to be fairly analytical about what was challenging and what worked. And again, this, you know, this free trade agreement that that we negotiated, we, Canada, United States, and Mexico, is quite meaningful. And it might be Trump's only bipartisan legislative accomplishment because Speaker Pelosi and the House Democrats voted for the newly renegotiated agreement. That's remarkable. And that's a tribute to how important our relationship is with Canada and Mexico and how much was at stake kind of economically. But for Pelosi to give Trump a victory like that, that's, I th- this might be the only thing they did. So anyway, Speaker Pelosi is in the book too. So, so Fantastic. it's fun. Well, yeah. I'm excited. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Now, All right. Some of our audience members don't know much about the Canadian American Business Council. Maybe you want to give us a little bit of a elevator speech, I guess, of what y'all do. Sure, happy to do it. So the Canadian American Business Council is a nonpartisan, bilateral advocate for the Canada-US relationship. And we speak from the voice of business, but we convene civil society and business and importantly, government, policymakers. We convene everybody together as often as we can to figure out how to negotiate this complicated relationship and how to how to make it even better. So that's what the CABC is. And just, we might as well go ahead and we've already plugged the book, Ted. 
why don't we plug one more thing? If you want to know more about the Canadian American Business Council, you can follow us on social. Or if you're really interested, you can go to our website, cabc.co, and you can sign up for a weekly newsletter. And it's just my thoughts in a few paragraphs every Friday afternoon. We crank it out. It's what's going on in Canada, US, what I think is interesting. So that's a way people can get involved if they'd like to. So let's talk about what do you think is interesting right now? Because when we had our initial interview call, I had a bunch of stuff I want to talk to you about. So we had topics like media literacy. We had topics about cross-border issues, the issue in the Ukraine. What is Scotty thinking about today? What is the thing that is top of mind that you think in order for our two nations to continue working together as successfully as we have, what are we doing? What are you thinking about? Well, I think a lot about how Canada can be relevant to the United States, to be honest, because Canada sits on a very important strategic piece of geography. So that's that's relevance there. We have a huge economic relationship, so that's relevance. But, but Canada worries about being overlooked and worries about not having a seat at all the tables. So most recently, President Biden returned from a trip to Asia where the Indo-Pacific Economic Forum was launched. Canada wasn't part of that, and that was covered pretty extensively in the news. The Quad, which is a security relationship with four countries, also as kind of a counter to China. Canada is not part of that. And so, so I think about how does Canada kind of show up and be relevant in this world, especially to the United States, so that it has some leverage when it wants to negotiate things that are important. Softwood lumber, electric vehicle battery tax credits, whatever the issue of the day is that's bothering Canada vis-a-vis the United States, how does it get some leverage? And you know, one of the things that really strikes me where Canada has a huge advantage and could do a lot is in the world of critical minerals and rare earths. So these are things that you dig out of the ground, you use them in critical minerals and rare earths, things like zinc and copper, and there's lots of lithium, uh, there's lots of others, and and they're used in solar panels, in electric vehicle batteries. So they're used in the things that we need for the carbon transition in our world. They're also used in a lot of consumer goods, like your iPhone, if you have an iPhone. They're also used in defense goods, so precision-guided missiles. So Critical minerals and rare earths are something that are incredibly important in the world, and they're found many places in the world. You can dig them up almost anywhere, dig them out of the dirt. But what's difficult is processing them, turning them into something that is usable for manufacturing and usable in the supply chain. That's where China owns the world market. China controls probably 80% of the processing of critical minerals and rare earths, and China uses that leverage at times for geopolitical purposes, right? So Canada, it's a place that knows a lot about resources. It's a place that knows how to protect the environment. It's a place that understands the importance of indigenous reconciliation. It's a place that has world-class infrastructure, railroads, ports, all of that sort of thing. So it seems to me that Canada should become the world headquarters of the processing of critical minerals and rares. And if it does that, It will have all kinds of leverage with the United States and with other partners. And I think that's the path to the future for Canada. Easier said than done. There is a bilateral agreement on it, but Ted, it's moving at the pace of government. So your little kids may be out of university and on having their own kids by the time it comes to fruition. And if you wait that long to get something done, others will outpace. Australia will fill, you know, fly up the chute. The U.S. itself will do, you know, go by, go by itself on this. So anyway, that's something that I think about a lot is how, how Canada can be relevant. And so in terms of the communication world, especially intergovernmental relations, government relations, 
what do you advise on professionals in this field? Because certainly there's the political piece, but it requires community engagement and community relations and all those kinds of things to build up that social license in order for things like this to happen. Because I'll tell you, being in Canada, you hear all sorts of news about, you know, leave the earth alone, don't dig stuff out of it, you know, da, 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 da. And you talked about it a little bit earlier about indigenous relations and whatnot. Any advice to those in the field that are working towards us every day? Absolutely. Okay. So my thought on this, Ted, for Canadians in particular and Canadian communicators is to resist the urge to make everything about Canada versus the United States. So think about the trucker blockade. I don't know if people remember the trucker blockade. Yeah, we, we it's still it's still very much fresh in our minds. There you go. So people in Ottawa remember it quite well because they lived through it. In other places, we got involved when it impacted the busiest border crossing at Detroit and Windsor. But you know, some of the commentarians on the trucker blockade was, oh, here we go, American tactics, American money coming in and kind of mucking up Canada. And a piece of that is true. I'm sure, right? Because ideas don't know sovereign boundaries and, you know, can the United States are integrated on everything. But I think it's an oversimplification and not exactly accurate to say, for example, that trucker blockade was a U.S. import. And poor Canada, we had to withstand the bad influence from our neighbors to the South. So, you know, my advice is to resist the easy narrative, the easy anti-American narrative, and really look at what's happening, whatever your issue is, and look at what do we have in common. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off, my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And what challenges do we confront together? Because, you know, the, the really special thing about Canada the United States, where we're really good, is when we, instead of kind of knocking at each other, where we lock arms and we take on big challenges of the world. That is way more productive and has served us well. And so I think in our daily lives and our professional practice, resist the urge to take the easy shot, the easy pot shot at Americans. I'll take that. And, and you know, in terms of the media standpoint, it takes two to tango, right? There's the folks that are the arbiters of truth or whatever have you, information anyway, and there's those that are consuming it. And so this being a podcast around marketing and communications, how do you feel around what's going on in the media landscape about fake news and media literacy and all sorts of nonsense that seems to be out there infiltrating our minds and kind of, I was reading a book about how Putin's not really making censorship or anything. All he's doing is pumping more fake news because then you can distort the truth. So how do you wrap your head around all that? Yeah, you know, it's a really important 
topic and not easy to answer. I mean, in society today, I think where we are at this moment in time, people don't trust sources of news and information the way they used to, right? And depending on kind of what camp you're in, you might pick your trusted news source, right? There are people in the United States that would say, well, if it's in the New York Times or the Washington Post, it must be fake. It must be fake. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it must be fake, right? And there are people that would say the opposite. If it's in the New York Times, it must be true. And so you've got this challenge of, of there isn't a common consensus on what is true and what isn't true. The other thing you have is it's not just journalists anymore. Ted, you've got a podcast. I've got a podcast. You know, half <laughs> yeah. the people listening probably have podcasts. And not only do we have podcasts, but we have a voice. We have a voice on social media. And, and we don't have, I mean, our podcasts have editors, but on social media, typically you don't have an editor, right? And so you can say things that aren't true. And the big social media companies are sort of saying, well, we're not in charge of what of policing what people say. And so now there's a big debate about, you know, when it comes to hate speech, when it comes to organizing violence, like is, is there an important role for, the, for tech and media ecosystem to play? The answer is absolutely. But what is it? That's hard. What's appropriate, you know? So I think we're right in the middle of this. Um, You've got the attention economy on the one hand, people trying to vie for attention. And on the other hand, there isn't an editor or an arbiter of truth and fiction. So I think we're in a very perilous time. I think the the lesson is people need to try to, to broaden their aperture and get information from as many different sources as they can and just apply critical thinking, good old critical thinking to it. Try to figure out, understand that nothing is automatically true true or false, but you just got to kind of think it through on your own. Isn't that the issue right now is that good old critical thinking? I mean, we can, I think as elites, you know, quote unquote, I think some of the fake news folks say like critical thinking, these are from people that have education from universities and whatnot, and they're the liberal elite and whatnot. How do we educate the next generation or even the current generation around critical thinking? Because back in the day, you know, you had a newspaper or three of the largest broadcasters, they say kind of similarly the same things. And that's kind of it. You go about your day and you're busy. You got four kids. You got to pay the taxes, clean the house, whatever it is. But now how do we have that time? How do we filter that? And I don't know, maybe more importantly is how do you get your message out in a landscape that is so disparate? Right. So two parts to that. One is, I think it's important for people to really be intentional about reaching outside of their own information bubble, right? So stream a podcast from a commentator that you know you disagree with, just to hear it, just to understand it, whoever that is, you know, just do that, even if it makes you mad. And then like for us, we try to have authentic conversations in real time. And over the course of, you know, I just hosted, for example, the Canada-U.S. Interparliamentary Group in Washington, D.C. This is a group of members of parliament, members of Congress from various political parties, various regions, and they get together periodically and talk about ideas. And when Canadian parliamentarians come to the United States, they leave their party at the door. Like, you wouldn't know sitting around the table that one senator from Halifax is a liberal and one member of parliament from Alberta is a conservative. I mean, you would know that if you knew anything Mm. about politics in Canada, but if you're an American, they're just Canadians and Mm. same vice versa. Right. And so I think if you can have a broad enough discussion with enough people at the table that are just being true to themselves, at the end of that, you come up with some good ideas and you come up with some common ground. 
You know, we talked about supply chain efficiency and the role that Canada and the United States play in that. We talked about the border. Uh, we talked about the fact that it's crazy in Canada. There's a three-year wait to get a Nexus card, if you know what a Nexus card is. Is there a three-year wait? Three-year wait, my friend. Wow. That's crazy. There is now. It's very difficult to travel across the border by air in Canada right now at certain crossings. We got to change all that. So anyway, those things aren't partisan. Those aren't subject to, you know, debates about fake news, real news. That's just real challenges that people of goodwill get together and talk about. And and so anyway, I think it's it's good to convene people. I have a bias towards convening because, you know, that's what we do for a living. But um, I think it makes a difference. With regards to convening, when Canadian lobbyists, policymakers, politicians come and speak to our American counterparts, as you mentioned, we, while we're part of the G7, we're still a drop in the bucket compared to what American policymakers are, are focusing on. So in terms of the day-to-day, when we come down and talk to y'all, like you mentioned, you know, sometimes maybe being a little too Canadian, polite, maybe doing us a disservice. Can you touch upon that a little bit? Well, you're not a drop in the bucket economically, actually. Um, Canada is the first or second largest economic relationship that the U.S. has on any given day. It's $700 Mm -hmm. billion a year. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. The second would be Mexico or China, and sometimes they vie for first. But it's up there, okay? And and, and when you're talking about energy, there's no contest. All kinds of energy, whether it's clean, green, renewable hydro, whether it's uranium for civilian nuclear use, whether it's uh, oil and gas, Canada's number one by a lot. And so that's, it's important to understand that. And I think what Canada generally needs to get better at is coming to the table first with laying the predicate for why we're such great partners, not assuming that the U.S. already knows those things that I just said and, and lays the predicate and says, hey, we're your biggest customer, we're your biggest direct foreign investor, we're your largest supplier of all forms of energy, et cetera, et cetera. Now let me tell you about this, this uh, little question I have about a tax credit on electric vehicles. And you got to lay the predicate first because in the United States, we're the capital of attention deficit down here. You know, we're thinking about a million things all at the same time. And so what Canadians sometimes do is they'll come to the United States and they'll say, hey, I got a bone to pick with you. And they want to show up and be tough and and say, you know, I'm really mad about softwood lumber or the border or electric vehicle tax credit. And, (laughs) And Americans do the human thing and go, oh, really? You're just coming to complain? Like, so it's good to lay the predicate with, you know, it's the old Ted, say something nice about your brother. Before you before you have a fight at the dinner table, and and so I think it's important to remember to do that. So I always try to remind, you know, the folks when they're coming through town, don't assume that Americans know everything about you. Don't assume you know everything about Americans, and start with start with a positive because there's a lot a lot of positive to lean on before you before you complain about the differences. Okay, and now in terms of a lot of similarities, and you know, with this possibly pending recession, the economy is not being helped by this war in Ukraine. And we were chatting about what we can do as Canadians in terms of at least your point of view is how we can help the situation so that we can get back to doing what we need to do to get our economies back on its feet. Yeah. One of the things I admire a lot about Canada is how Canada handles immigrants, refugees, welcoming people into the country. It is a big differentiator, maybe from anywhere, actually, certainly from the United States. 
And so Canada might not, I mean, Canada will send military aid and support to the extent that it wants to do that. But Canada isn't going to be the biggest military defender of the people of Ukraine or contributor on that. But Canada could be the world leader in welcoming refugees and helping people that are displaced. And Canada has a great history of that. It's got to be done in a way that doesn't leave behind the Afghans, and in particular, the Afghan women that are coming into Canada. But that's a role I think Canada could play. The other thing is Canada's really good at producing food. So is Ukraine. And Ukraine is a major food supplier for the world. But Ukraine is busy right now, pushing back the Russians, defending their sovereignty, all of that. And so I think there are creative ways, whether it's potato farmers in PEI, Prince Edward Island, that I like to work with, or, you know, all kinds of others. There there are ways for Canada to step into the breach and help solve a world food security catastrophe that is coming as a result of this Russian aggression. That's fantastic. Thank you. That's a really good point of view. In terms of the uh, NorthAmericanRebound.com, I was told about this. This is a website that your team started. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and maybe plug your podcast? Oh, okay. Two, two more things to plug. I love it. So the North American Rebound, if you check out NorthAmericanRebound.com, that is regular Canadians and Americans and chambers of commerce and government types coming together to say, whatever the challenge is, Canada and the United States are in it together. So let's not put up protectionist barriers against each other. So anybody that's listening to this, check it out, NorthAmericanRebound.com. If you agree with what it's all about, it's kind of motherhood and apple pie, put your name on it, share it, talk about it on social. We would love that. And that helps us when we go to policymakers and say, look, it's not just us saying we should do things together, but there's a big base of support for this right across both countries. As for the podcast, So this was a COVID project, Ted. Chris Sands, who is a professor at the Woodrow Wilson Center for Scholars, he and I got together during the pandemic and said, what do we want to collaborate on that'll help raise the bar of people's understanding on the Canada-U.S. relationship? So we thought we'd try a podcast. And it's called Canusa Street, C-A-N-U-S-A Street. It's named after a real place. Called Canusa? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. In Northern Vermont. There's a town in Vermont that is divided, actually, between Stansted, Quebec, and Derby Line, Vermont. And the international border runs right through the library. It runs right through the opera house. And so that main street in Vermont, they call it Canusa Street because it's, you know, Canada-USA Street. Because in one minute you could be in Canada, the other minute you could be in the U.S. So that was kind of a fun thing. My brother-in-law lives up there. He came up with the idea when we were trying to figure out what to call this Canada-US podcast. So it's a little bit like Sesame Street, <laughs> only Canusa Street. You know, we we talk we talk about the Canadian relationship. So it's on it's anywhere you get podcasts, whether that's Apple or Amazon or Spotify or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. We also talk about it a little bit on social media. But we take on Canada-US issues and try to talk to people in a very non-biased way. And so Perfect example. There are issues like in your part of the world, Ted, in the Pacific Northwest, a big issue between Canada and the United States is the Columbia River Treaty negotiation. Um, That's a major environmental treaty. Uh, There's a lot going on between British Columbia and Idaho, as an example, and the the states and provinces up there. Well, our two countries are, are renegotiating that treaty right now. And it took us three podcast episodes to 
explore it. Why? Because there are so many different points of view. So we had an indigenous leader that's part of the negotiations. We had the Canadian negotiator. We've invited the U.S. negotiator. She hasn't accepted quite yet, but I think I think she'll come. But we did have a U.S. point of view. We had uh, the guy that used to be the head of the Bonneville Power Administration. So anyway, if you're a student of Canada-U.S. relations or if you're you know, an executive or a government official who finds yourself with a portfolio on one side of the border or the other and you're looking to understand the dynamics at play, Canusa Street's your place. It's very niche. It's not for everybody. But for nerds like me and Chris Sands, it's absolutely perfect. That's fantastic. I'm going to listen to that. Now, I noticed that you said niche. So I've been doing a lot of work with American counterparts. And I'm always a little bit worried I'm saying the wrong, is it niche or niche, right? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Is it process or process? I don't know, process, process. I think there's also gala or gala, I think was was also another one. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them. All right, well, hey, before we go, let's do a little bit of rapid fire just so that we can understand who Scotty is on a personal level and kind of let you go to your busy day. You ready? Okay. Yeah, let's go. Book that changed the way you think about communications. The 100-Year Marathon. It's about China's approach to the world. Okay. Are you a night owl or early bird? I was an early bird until COVID, and now I'm a night owl. I don't know why. I don't know what happened, but yeah, I stay up really late at night now. Favorite thing to do in the summer in Canada? Kayaking with beluga whales in the western Hudson Bay of Churchill, Manitoba. I have never done that. Didn't even know that existed. It's spectacular. It's one of the coolest things to do anywhere in the world. Yeah. Are you a New England Patriots fan, being you're from Vermont? So I'm not from Vermont. I'm from here, but I married a guy from Vermont, and he's a Patriots fan. But I actually like, if I'm if we're talking about American football, I like SEC college football and I like the national champion Georgia Bulldogs. Go dogs. My daughter went to the University of Georgia. We lived in Atlanta for years. So if you're asking me to choose football, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose the the uh, Georgia Bulldogs all day long. College ball is something that I haven't gotten into because I watch NFL. But if I watched NFL and college ball, my wife is a widow for the entire football season, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, here's here's the great news. If you're watching the NFL, including the Patriots, you're going to see some Georgia Georgia Bulldog alum because they supply, I think, half the NFL players. So you're in good shape. That's right. That's right. What's your last impulse buy? A saddle. A saddle? Oh, you ride horses? Yeah. What kind of horse? So I ride at a barn in um, beautiful hunt country in Virginia, and I ride with this trainer who's spectacular. And so I ride her horses. And so the, my current favorite is a is a European warm blood. The horse's name is Sonia. And uh, yeah, anyway, a good thing my husband doesn't listen to this podcast because I haven't disclosed that I bought a saddle yet. <laughs> <laughs> Any favorite song or album that you have on repeat right now? So I like oldies because I'm old, but I like to get inspiration from my kids. So whenever we're in the car together or traveling together, they manage to kind of give me ideas. So I like Lizzo. She's got a new song out that's pretty good. But yeah, I, I just have to steal Spotify playlists from my kids because otherwise I'm, I'm stuck in the 80s or the 60s, oh, yeah. music, musically speaking. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, at least you're listening to English singers. My daughter had a BTS phase where it's just a bunch of Korean boys singing stuff that I have no idea what they're talking about. And that was playing in the house for a while. Yeah. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. 
by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Yeah, that's more fun to watch on video, I think, than listen to. I think it's a little bit uh, a little bit the same if you listen to it uh, all day long. It's a little bit much. It's a, but you know what? Hey, it's all good. It's all good. Hey, we were young once. We were young once. I like to say that I'm young-ish still, but hey, you know, is what it is. Oh, well, I like to say that I'm 150 years old. And then people are like, oh, well, for 150, you look great. Great. (laughs) Any tips of advice for communicators before we leave? Appreciate all of the positive in the world. There's so much stress and so much negativity and it can get us down. And I would say celebrate, celebrate the beauty and the positive things and, and, uh, you know, celebrate kindness and lean into that whenever you can. Awesome. Scotty, thank you very much. How do we get a hold of you if we need to? Uh, you can just Google me or you can find me at CABC or you can you can hit me up on LinkedIn or Twitter or I'm not on TikTok, Ted, so you can't find me there, but pretty much anywhere else you can. I am also not on TikTok. Yeah. Again, we're all We're missing out. I think we're missing out. Maybe we should do a TikTok video between Canadian and American prime ministers. Oh, you know, somebody probably is already doing yeah, that. Yeah, probably, probably. We'll have to check it out. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thank you very much for your time, Scotty. And we'll see you next time. To all the listeners, this is Marketing News Canada. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Ted Lau. This is Mary Scott, Scotty Greenwood. And we'll see you next time. All right. See you later. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. <laughs>